Welcome to Insurance Tomorrow, the podcast that looks at emerging trends in technology to assess the impact they might have on businesses and the insurance industry. Keep listening to the end when we'll be talking about the value of this on brokers in particular. It's one of the biggest pipelines you'll see ever. And actually, in, in the insurance industry has played a, a key role in that to date. This podcast is brought to you by Alliance Insurance, and I'm your host, Steph McGovern. Today, we're going to be discussing renewables. In 2017, almost 20% of global energy consumption was renewable. This is expected to increase to 25% by 2035 and 34% by 2050. That's according to McKinsey's Energy Insights report. But given the tons of obvious benefits renewables might bring as we head into the future, everything from the environmental perspective to being able to self-govern our own power production in the UK, are there any potential drawbacks and how will the growing use of renewables impact the insurance industry? To discuss this, I'm joined by an expert panel. Steve Kelly, who's Head of Insurance, Engineering, Construction and Power at Allianz Insurance. Daniel Grosvenor, UK Power Utilities and Renewables Leader at Deloitte. And Chris Timmermans, Accenture's European Renewables Lead. So, Steve, let me start with you. Can you just give us an overview in simple terms on what we mean by renewables? Yes, Steph. So I would uh, put renewables into two groups. The first one would be carbon neutral, which is essentially using purpose-grown crops, and that would be such as biomass and anaerobic digestion risks. And the second category would be carbon-free, which is the more well-known technologies of solar, wind and hydro. Can I ask you then, Daniel, you know, we've, we've heard so much, haven't we, from the government, particularly recently, about sustainability, about focusing more on renewables. Can you just tell us a bit about how this plays in to what we're seeing, you know, what difference this government strategy and focus is going to have on the area? Well, I think the, the key element of a strategy is it's a, it's a net zero strategy. So we, we need to decarbonize the entire UK. Um, the first step of that strategy is to decarbonize the, the entire UK electricity sector by 2035. Um, so we are, we are not going to achieve that without significant investment in, in renewables in the UK. Uh, and that, yeah, the strategy is for 40 gigawatts of offshore wind by 2030, um, and significantly more than that by 2035. And, and probably more than double that by 2050. Um, so renewables will play a, a huge role um, in, in delivering that strategy. Um, and and as, uh, as Steve described it, the carbon-free renewables will provide the bulk of that. But the, the challenge with, with most of those renewables, like, like wind and solar, is that they are intermittent. They don't generate all the time, and you can't control to a large extent when they do generate. So we do need other technologies to mix with those renewables to balance the grid uh, and, and make sure that the supply meets the demand. And do you think it's achievable then? I, I think that the vast majority of decarbonising the electricity system, we are, we are making great progress on. Uh, and I think we will continue to develop the yeah, offshore wind. I think more solar will come through, things like large-scale rooftop and ground mount, uh, and, and we will deliver that. I think However, the last piece of that decarbonisation of the electricity system, when we get the final bit of gas off, off the system, we stop using all fossil fuels. I, I think that is where it will get hard. And that's where we need more innovative technologies. So part of the plan is biomass with CCS, 
we'll probably have gas with CCS, we'll have nuclear new build, um, and we'll probably have hydrogen power generation as well. Yeah, that end of the decarbonisation journey is, is the hard bit, I think. Uh, and, and we've got quite a lot more work to do to make that work. What is CCS, Daniel? CCS or CCUS, as it's often called, is carbon capture usage and, and storage or utilisation and storage. So it's where you still use uh, fossil fuels or biomass to generate electricity, but capture the carbon um, when you're burning that product and, and then either use or store uh, that carbon uh, for, for the long term. As well as in the power sector, CCS could also be used in industrial and other processes as part of uh, the net zero transformation. Steve, do you want to pick up on that as well? Just your thoughts on, you know, is this achievable? How are we going to get there? Yeah, I agree with what Daniel has said. You know, the biggest drawback from a renewable energy point of view, particularly the carbon-free technologies where you're reliant on on the wind and the, the sun and to a certain extent rainfall as well. Um, it's difficult to control. Supply can be volatile. Supply can come at the wrong time. So energy could be produced at the time when the grid doesn't need it. It can cause instability in the grid as well and, and cause that to fail. So we've got to find ways of making the supply from renewables more consistent. And we are starting to see some developments in that area. I think in the short term, again, I agree with Daniel that gas has still got a role to play. So in the UK, we're seeing the development of short-term operating reserves where there's a number of gas engines being brought together to fill the gaps that might occur when um, power isn't being generated from mules and to cover the gap that uh, we've lost through some of the coal-powered stations in the UK being closed. And then there's a development of energy storage. So energy storage is big development at this moment in time. We've seen a lot of installations in the UK and across the world, and that will smooth the flow of supply to the national grid. And it'll also actually improve the performance of renewables installations by making them more um, profitable and, and generating revenue at the most op optimum times. On, on these particular points, I actually very much agree. And also with the, with the way that it's going to that it's going to play out, it is it is going to be an increase right now in the next in the next 20, 20 years to come. And it's more when we, we we hit the ends where we need to look at what we what we often call the second generation type of renewables, where we uh, where we will need to be able to 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 balance with that and actually see whether it's also going to be cost optimal in the way that we work with those and and and. Uh, and make that available in what we call an, a system value framework, where we allow for the system to change. Yeah, I just wanted to add, I mean, we've spoken about significant growth uh, of this technology in the UK and globally. Um, I think what we've not necessarily explored fully is the strain on the supply chain that that's going to have. We've seen a number of industry sectors at the moment that have got shortages of materials, construction in particular. Um, I think that's got a potential to happen in the renewable sector. If we see a proliferation of renewable energy across the globe, there's still only a certain number of manufacturers involved in the sector. So potentially, we could actually see a significant increase in the cost of critical uh, and, and parts. Um, we also may see uh, an increase in the lead times of delivery, so maybe projects being delayed. And also, we could also see an impact on quality. So, will companies potentially will use quality control over their, their processes? So, I think there's a few um, potential drawbacks on the proliferation of renewables that could occur in the coming years. I think that's one of the reasons why we need a diversity of supply, you know, so that we, we aren't concentrating on one thing and one supply chain and how we do it. One of the other benefits of renewables is it supports another trend in the energy sector, and that's decentralisation as well. 
Um, so we may see more. You know, I, I expect at some point in the, in the in the short to medium term, every new house will have to have solar on the roof. You'll have to have an EV charging station. Yeah, you'll have to have a battery next door to your hydrogen boiler or your heat pump or something else. Uh, and, and we will decentralize a lot of that generation. And and then also how we manage all of those uh, assets flexibly will then help balance the grid scale renewables that we're using as well. Yeah. Um, Chris, did you want to add to this? But we're also talking about the value that it's creating and the creation, but also job changing that 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 will need to happen as people move from an fossil fuel driven economy sometimes and, and and need to step into new type of jobs i think it's also important that we that we keep an eye out for new type of services and new type of technology and new type of uh, jobs also that will be created on the way and that it's not so much only about cost cutting but actually identifying which opportunities do i see in a new ecosystem and i also read very much that it's it's going to be a bit of everything as as we move forward as as, as daniel and, and steve were i think both referring to this this uh, attention for which type of jobs and which new opportunities do we see is going to be important to not only make it a cost game, but actually create value with it as well. So, Daniel, do you think, just adding to that, do you think we are heading in that direction? Are we seeing these changes happening fast enough? We're certainly seeing them change fast. Whether it's fast enough is, a, is a, another point. Uh, I think we probably need to accelerate on all fronts. Um, I think the, the the pipeline for for renewables is is really strong. There's huge investment potential, but I, I think that pipe pipeline needs to be bigger and it needs to become becoming sooner. And we may need to make some compromises on how we deliver that uh, in order to ac- accelerate. You know, maybe changes in the CFD auctions or the the seabed lease auctions just to make those processes quicker and get more scale into the process. But yeah, we, we are we are delivering at scale in renewable energy in the UK and across the world, but I think we need to do it quicker. I think some of the bigger challenges, and these have been alluded to in COP, is then how, how we bring other countries along as well. And that is done in a, a just way across the globe, because just doing the UK isn't going to solve the problem. Now you've mentioned uh, COP26. Obviously, it's something we were all talking a lot about uh, as journalists in the news, but what impact is it going to have on the industry? Do you think the uh, the pledges which came out of COP26? If we look at Europe, the European Union Green Deal has set an ambitious agenda for energy transition, aiming to reach the climate neutral status by 2050. And, and for the EU, EU to reach that target, climate neutrality, one of the main goals is to, of course, decarbonize the energy systems, achieving a 55% CO2 reduction by 2030. Most of the countries have called out the number of or actually of being CO2 neutral by 2050, or close to it at least, of reaching the target, and have also already started working towards either already having it in their law or proposed, or at worst being being discussed. But I very much agree with Daniel as well. I think the UK and also some of the of the other smaller countries in Europe are going to only play a, a small part in that. It's it's important that the bigger players actually also set their their ambitions high enough. And they have also started setting ambitions now, bigger players like in, uh, like in India and like in China. But it doesn't mean that the smaller countries like the UK and other ones in Europe can set an example and actually be a, a pioneer in, in what it is that will be required. I, I think di- directly, I, I'm not sure COP will, certainly not in Western Europe, because I think there was a huge agenda supporting renewables and the economics yeah, was such that I, I think we were going to get a large investment anyway. But the overall trends are pushing towards decarbonisation, which yeah, will be positive for a, a renewable sector. Um, I think one 
And I was speaking to one client who said that the biggest, the biggest announcement at COP was all about the money. Um, and if you get the money right, everything else will happen. Um, so you know the 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 financial deal at COP and the, I can't remember what the number was, 130 trillion dollars of uh, assets that will be you know, directed towards you know low carbon technologies. I think that that is a huge investment, and I think outside of you know Western Europe and and North America, I think that can make a big difference. You, it's it's quite easy to finance core renewables in the UK and Western Europe at the moment. It's highly competitive sector. But I think when you go elsewhere from a global point of view, um, that, fu- that that financial provision agreed in COP will be really significant. Are there any, I mean, Steve slightly touched on this about the kind of negatives, I guess, from the adoption of more renewables. I, I think I, I think not many. Um, it depends how far we go and, and how much we try to electrify. Uh, some people say one of the setbacks will be just the sheer volume of land or seabed or any other space that you need to develop all of these renewables. Um, so hence, I think the need for a mix of technologies is important. And that's technologies in the whole net zero energy transformation, not just in electricity. I think if we try to electrify everything and then source that electricity only from renewables, then we will have a lot of challenges. But that doesn't have to be the the way forward it's not the only way forward which comes back to the point you made earlier about supply if there's only one supply there's going to be problems so there's got to be diversity across all the different types of renewables and different ways of creating it in order for this to happen um can i ask about the future then steve in terms of what further developments we might see in the field of renewables I think certainly given the opportunity, there'll be a lot more investment in improving efficiency across technologies. Uh, If you look at solar, for example, and PV in particular, um, it's only in recent years that it's become efficient enough to use in the UK to generate profitability. Um, I expect that to improve further. Um, There's even been uh, talk of making solar panels transparent so you can put them on windows of buildings. So we'll see how that technology progresses. Um, And I think scale is another area that will improve. So if I think back to when I first got involved with renewables from an underwriting perspective, the typical wind turbine would have been 250 kilowatts. And now we're looking at turbines up to 10 megawatts, the power stations in themselves. So from that perspective, there's been significant movement. And again, I would expect that to continue. So existing technologies will get more efficient and bigger. Um, And then there's potential for new technologies with hydrogen in particular being the one that's the next potential big thing that um, a number of companies are looking at, and particularly if it's involving renewable energy production in the creation of the hydrogen. Yeah. Every time I get my head around one of them, the next one's being talked about. That's the thing, isn't it? It was like, get an electric car, and then soon it's going to be, get a hydrogen car. (laughs) Um, Daniel, what are your thoughts on uh, further developments we might see in the field? Yeah, I, I think we'll start to see lots of other technologies come through. And uh, I, I agree with Steve, we're going to see energy storage increase rapidly. There is a big hydrogen program um, in the UK. There's a big CCS program. I think we'll see different technologies in different countries as well. You know, hi- hydro is actually a great low-carbon energy source for balancing wind and solar. Uh, it is flexible. We just don't have a lot of hydro resources in the UK. Other countries have great hydro resources and they will have they will have different solutions. So we we will think bring different technologies. And the more scale we have, the more innovation we will get. I think if you look at you know Steve talked about how 
uh, wind turbines have developed over over the years. But we, we've now installed thousands of wind turbines. Uh, and you know, when you do something thousands of times, then you do get innovation, you know, even if it's just incremental. You've done it a thousand times. It's it's going to make a difference. So we need yeah. to apply that to, to d- different technologies, to, to hydrogen, to CCS, to storage, uh, you know, vehicle-to-grid charging, um, and you know, virtual power plants, all, all of that. We, we need to do at scale so we can see that innovation, bring costs down, and bring in new technologies. Inevitably, you, you get more efficient, don't you, the more times you do it and can therefore bring down costs surrounding it as well. Chris, can I ask you about whether there are any risks or exposures to renewable energy? Yeah, and, and there are definitely risks, I think, linked. And, and, and there, are three, there are three that I wanted to, uh, to mention. I think first, and, and Daniel, I think, touched upon that one as well. As the, as the percentage of variable renewable increases, there's a need to better model supply and demand and have also the infrastructure in place to handle this as well as the digital solutions to manage. And this will get increasingly more important when we have a second generation of renewables leveraging hydrogen, for instance, as a potential natural storage component. And as it becomes cost competitive, it needs to be part of the mix as well. So basically that's managing that and having those technologies in place to, to doing that in a controlled way is, is very important and is, uh, is a risk to take into account to have that in place. I think a second risk is price uncertainty or what we call merchant risk. So subsidies which historically actually providing, provided investment certainty by inserting a revenue level for production, they have disappeared or are disappearing. And this introduced price uncertainty much faster than anyone could have anticipated. And then a finally important one to mention is cyber risk. So renewable generators are, are definitely targeted by cyber attacks and keeping the renewable energy providers safe is increasingly challenging due to growing asset portfolios and also the ongoing digital integration, which is needed to optimize the performance of these portfolios. But it also allows for easy access for potential hackers into the network. Great. Steve, can I ask you about what all of this means for the insurance industry then? So, you know, what role does the insurance industry have when it comes to the use and growth of renewables? Well, I think, first of all, we've we've got a, an investment position. So Allianz have invested heavily in renewables themselves and we've committed to net zero and got a, a, a portfolio investment over 500 million euros already in solar and wind and i expect that to continue i also think there'll be further withdrawal in support of fossil fuels in particular coal-fired power stations and so i think that's a role that insurers will play um, but in our day-to-day operation as um, insurers of this type of technology um, I think we need to be in a position where we're offering the right breadth of cover. So typically, it's been a property risk where you uh, ensure the, the breakdown or the material damage to property. But there's also other issues that could give confidence to the sector and investment into the sector, such as weather derivatives, which is uh, a cover that we can provide. So I think that will support the, biz- uh, the, the development of the business. Um, I also think a big parts that insurance can play is is or insurers can play is as an uh, independent partner. So we see many different technologies, we see many different uh, original equipment manufacturers, many different operators for which we can collect data and effectively pull together a best practice for the sector that we can use through our underwriting and risk management to ensure better development for all those involved in, in renewable energy generation. So therefore, based on that, what should brokers be telling clients about all of this? So I think um, given the scale and the pace of development in renewable energy, it's important that we are engaged as soon as possible 
both to understand the technology, but also to give our input into the technology. As I said, you know, we have an immense amount of data that we can bring to bear to support new technology or modifications to existing technology. Um, I think the risk management function that we can provide um, is key to development. To get that support from our brokers um, would be really, really uh, helpful, both in terms of using the skills that we've got, but also using their own risk management expertise to develop that uh, technology as also. Which all sounds key. So just wrapping everything up that we've been talking about, what do you want people to take away from this in terms of what's happening with renewables? Um, Daniel, do you want to start us off? I'll, I'll touch a little bit on ins- insurance as well. But I, I, I think there is there's one of the biggest pipelines you'll see ever uh, in our lifetimes uh, in the in the transition to net zero and hence in the renewable sector. Uh, it is colossal. There's a huge amount of investment, a huge number of jobs and skills that we need to deliver that. And actually, in, in the insurance industry has played a, a key role in that to date. Yeah, insurance has been a key part of any project finance solution that's ever, ever happened and will continue to do so. So I, I think from an insurance industry point of view, it's a, a really attractive sector. Uh, with lots of future business opportunities. Yeah, everyone's got a role to play. Uh, Chris, your closing thoughts then and what you want people to take away from this? Yeah, on top of what was said before, I think as we're moving through a pivot point right now where the generation mix, it's it's more than 20 or 30% of variable renewables, we are accelerating to the to this net zero integrated energy system. And this system will require an increased level of, of collaboration across classic industry silos. And being aware about that bigger context and keeping an eye out for these cross-industry opportunities will be key for insurance companies, but also for other industries to stay relevant. And finally, with you. Yes, thank you. So I think, you know, this is a fantastic opportunity for the UK uh, to address climate change. But I think another opportunity, particularly for us, is to become self-sufficient from a power generation point of view. Um, we're very reliant in the past on, on other countries supplying our power. So this is a brilliant opportunity for that vulnerability to be removed um, and I hope that we can all work together to make success of it to achieve the same goals. I am sure we can and it's uh, been lovely to chat to you all. Uh, Thank you so much for your time. Thanks to my guests there, Steve Kelly from Allianz. Daniel Grosvenor from Deloitte and Chris Timmermans from Accenture. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your usual provider so you don't miss an episode. And we'd love it if you could leave a review. It really helps uh, to make the podcast easier for others to find. I'm Steph McGovern. Thanks for listening. <laughs>